All right. You guys have some weird, uh, thanks, man. Anybody got any weird favorite purchases ever? Just really odd? Favorite purchase ever? No? Your dog. Aw, that's awesome. Any other ones? Favorite purchase ever? Textbooks. Textbooks. Oh, wow. That is an interesting one. Okay. Uh, Hey, before we jump in, I feel like I've been sent with a message uh, to all of you who are Californians or transplants to California. I feel like I am sent here to tell you we're going to be okay. 60 degrees temperature is coming back soon, okay? We're going to make it. I know it's been incredibly cold. Uh, every night, my wife and I, were just like snug with blankets. We're drinking uh, hot cider. It's been so freezing, but we're going to make it, okay? God still loves us. We can get through this together. Uh, I lived in Chicago for six years, and uh, man, I have totally changed to a Californian. I hate it when it's under 50 degrees. It's unbearable. Unbearable. Uh, hey, we're in the middle of a series called Resolutions. Uh, obviously, people in our world, we make resolutions for the new year. And according to science, many of us in this room who have made resolutions have already broken those resolutions. So if that is you, just know that you are not a loser. Uh, if you are a loser, you're surrounded by a bunch of losers, okay? So uh, we're all in the same boat. Now, uh, we want to talk about resolutions because I love the root word of resolutions, which is resolve. And the definition of resolve is a firm determination to do something. And so what we want to talk about as a community is to resolve to be flourishing people. Uh, Whether you're a Christian here or you're not, uh, the desire for every person is to live a full life. This is what Jesus talked about. We want to live a life that flourishes, that thrives. And so uh, we want to talk about how we can resolve, have a firm determination, have a healthy life, uh, to have a full life. And it comes from uh, this thing that Jesus said one time. Uh, He summed up the law by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. The principle he's trying to get at is to love God with everything that you are. A lot of times when we talk about being spiritually healthy, uh, we think about going to church or praying or reading your Bible, but our spirituality is entwined with all that we are. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, being emotionally healthy, how to love God with our emotions. Uh, last week, we talked about being mentally healthy, intellectually healthy, and I showed you a picture of my dog, uh, and dogs are better than cats. And... <laughs> My dog is better than your dog, okay? So, uh, but we talk about our mind and our intellect, and if we don't learn how to take captive and train our thoughts, uh, they, they will take captive, they will take us captive. And uh, next week, we're talking about being physically healthy, physically thriving. We're going to bring in a, a, a star collegiate athlete to talk to us about being physically healthy, okay? Really excited about that. This week, though, we are talking about Uh, finances and being financially healthy Uh, because there can never be anything weird that happens when you talk about money at church, am I right? (laughs) Uh, 
Uh, I want to tell you, just in case you are thinking any weird money things with ministry, I want to be clear with you. I actually, it's not like the old days, I have a salary. So if you don't give more money, like if you give more money, I don't like get a bonus check or something, okay? So I'm not trying to get you to give more money today. That is not the deal. If you give more money, we don't have like a report card. And we're like, well, we're not going to pray as much for that person because they didn't give as much. So uh, I know it can be a little weird. Maybe you brought a friend today and you're like, great, you're talking about money the time I brought my friend. Uh, I want to be clear. What we're talking about is financial health. You know, Jesus talked about uh, finances and money uh, a lot. Actually, uh, the only thing he talked about more was the kingdom of God. Right after that was finances and money. This is so important if we're going to flourish and live full lives, to learn how to be financially healthy. I was thinking about Sank and how unique we are in the different groups uh, that are represented here. And this is a huge generality, but I sort of thought through like three groups that we have when it comes to finances. The first group, uh, maybe you're in college, maybe you go to Stanford, maybe another college, Menlo College, uh, maybe you're an intern, uh, maybe uh, you know, you're living with your parents, whatever it is, and you know how to make ramen taste good, right? Uh, you are accustomed to the Taco Bell dollar menu. Uh, you can often find yourself saying, can I borrow your Netflix password? Uh, so you're in the first group here, and this is the group I lovingly call the help me, I'm poor group. Uh, <laughs> I'm not making fun of you. I'm sort of a card-carrying member of this group. I've been there many times. I'll probably be there again. Uh, but some of us are in this first group. Now, the second group uh, is what I'd call sort of like starting out. You're sort of getting your roots. Uh, maybe you have gotten your first, like, real job. And if you're anything like me, when you get your first paycheck for your first real job, you're like, I'm rich. <laughs> bring in the fattened calf and bring in my, like, I'm paying for this whole meal. It's all on me because I'm rich. Like, yeah, it's amazing. So you're starting out. Maybe you're starting to buy like real food and real meals. You're starting to about uh, moving to a, a bigger place. Uh, maybe not eight roommates, but three or four roommates here in the Bay Area. Uh, so that's group two. And then group three would be what I, I know some of you are in this group. You're sort of more established at this point. Uh, you have a more established job. Uh, you've actually made some investments. Maybe you are uh, thinking about buying a home or you bought a home. Maybe you're thinking about saving up for a family at some point. Uh, maybe you're taking like real vacations, you know. Uh, you're the third group. Now, here's the deal. Regardless of which group you are in, group one, two, three, or some other group, because uh, we're not all in those groups, uh, regardless of which group you're in, most of us, are under this impression, if I could just get to the next group, I'd be content. I'd be fulfilled. If I could just get a little more, like I don't want to skip to group four or five. I just want to get to group two. If you're in group one, you're like, if I could just eat like a fancy meal like chili, chilies, I'd be fine. I'd be good. <laughs> if I could just get a little more, I'd be content. I'd be happy. Uh, this is what I would call the if-then trap that we all fall into. If... I could get this, then I'd be fulfilled, then I'd be content, then I'd be happy. If this would happen, then this, a conditional state of life. If these conditions are met, then I will be content, the if-then trap. And so much of us, our unhealthy relationship uh, with money stems from this. 
This is what we have to learn first. I want to show you a picture of a guy named Billy Bob Harrell Jr. Yes, he is from Texas. You're right. You're correct. Uh, Billy Bob was a, a normal guy. He went from low-paying job to low-paying job. He eventually uh, started working at Home Depot. He was a father. He was a, a husband. He was a churchgoer. And then something happened to him that he would eventually say was the worst thing that happened to him in his life. Can you guys guess what it was? Yeah, yeah. He won the lottery. He won the lottery. Initially, it was great. He thought this would solve all his problems. He bought a ranch like Texans do. Uh, he took his family on a vacation to Hawaii. And he even initially donated a lot to charity and to his church. But over time, it didn't make him happier. It actually had the opposite effect. It changed his life for the, for the worse. Uh, changed his relationship with his family. He got a divorce with his wife. In a two-year span, his outlook completely changed. And he told his therapist, winning the lottery was the worst thing that's happened in my life. And that was right before he took his own life. Yeah. See, we have this idea that if I could just get that, then I would be content. And it's a lie. It's a lie. If we're going to flourish financially, this is the core thing we have to understand, my friends. We have to understand this deep reality. Money does not equal contentment. And we know that, right? Intellectually, we know that. But a lot of us, we're still uh, under this impression that money or the things money will buy equal contentment. But if we keep believing this lie, we're going to stay empty. We're going to stay hungry. We're going to stay on the hamster wheel chasing craving and desire after desire. We're going to make idols out of vacations, out of security, out of things. And we will die with possessions, but with no eternal impact. Money does not equal contentment. But the good news that we want to talk about tonight, the good news is this money is actually not bad. It's not a bad thing at all. Money is a tool. Money is not contentment, but money is a tool. If we can learn how to use money as a tool, we can accomplish our priorities, our goals, and our values. And ultimately, we can use money for an eternal purpose. Uh, so whatever group you find yourself in this morning, this morning, this evening, uh, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, it's so vital for us to understand this concept if we're going to have a healthy relationship with finances. And the Bible has a lot to say about money, but it also has a lot to say about contentment. And I want to read you an insane verse about contentment. And this is the vision for what's possible in our life. Uh, this is Apostle Paul speaking in Philippians. He says this, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing hunger, uh, facing plenty, abundance, and need. I read this verse, and I love this vision. I don't know about you, it stirs my soul. And I wonder, is this actually possible? To be content in every circumstance and need and plenty. This is what we are all looking for. 
Our world is desperate for contentment, for a full life. Uh, there's a man named Henry David Thoreau. Uh, you might have learned about him at some English class at some point. And uh, he lived in the mid-1800s. And Henry David Thoreau, let's keep that picture up. I want to look at that beard some more. Okay. Uh, he lived in the mid-1800s, and he was so tired of the hustle and the bustle of the busy life of the 1800s. And so uh, Henry David Thoreau decided to go out to a tiny house uh, in the middle of nowhere, sort of in the woods by a lake. And what he wanted to learn was how to live a simple life uh, without all these extravagances. And uh, in his famous book, Walden, he writes this. He says, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn uh, what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. So good. I did not wish to live what was not life. Living is so dear. Uh, nor did I wish to practice resignation unless it was quite necessary. And this is the famous verse that I just love. I wanted to live deep and suck all, out all the marrow of life. It's sort of weird imagery, <laughs> a little gross, but it's the concept that we're talking about. He wants to live a full, flourishing life. And uh, Henry David Thoreau started this movement uh, that's now called minimalism, how to get fullness of life by living simply. Uh, some of you guys have probably heard of the phenomenon, the tiny house movement. Uh, I have a picture of one of the tiny houses. I know in the, in the Bay Area, that's like a $5 million home right there. It's like, I would kill to live in that house. What are you talking about? <laughs> the tiny house movement started, uh, they promote financial prudence, uh, economically safe, shared co community experiences, and a shift in consumerism-driven mindsets. The reason I talk about these minimalist uh, people is because I think we feel it in our bones. Humanity, society, we feel it in our souls. More stuff is not making us content. It's not working. And for us, this is the great, beautiful news. Uh, this is the paradoxical news of Jesus. Uh, we can have contentment and fullness wherever we are, whatever we face. This is the with God life. Jesus says, I am the living water. I'm the living bread. Uh, come to me, we're hungry and thirsty. His presence, his nearness, this is what following Jesus is. This is the hope that he provides everything we need in this present moment so we can trust in him. So before we get into some practical things about money, if we're going to have a healthy relationship with it, this is the biggest thing to understand, contentment will never come through more money, through more stuff. Contentment comes from living with Christ, moment by moment, knowing him deeply. And of course, this is extremely countercultural. This is not uh, what we're used uh, to hearing. Uh, any of you guys like the show Parks and Rec? Yeah, my people, my people. Uh, there's a famous phrase uh, in Parks and Rec that I say all the time, treat yourself. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I will say that all the time. She's like, baby, be careful. I spend like $20 and I'm like, treat yourself, girl. 
I do not say it like that, actually. Uh, Tom Haverthur, one of the best characters ever, and Donna in this picture, they have this day where they treat themselves. So here's the actual quote. Uh, Tom says, once a year, Donna and I spend a day treating ourselves. Uh, what do we treat ourselves to? Clothes, treat yourself. Fragrance, fragrances, treat yourself. Massages, mm, treat yourself. Mimosas, treat yourself. Fine leather goods, treat yourself. <laughs> I love this phrase. It's so good. Uh, here, here's the reality. Here in America, we're really good at treating ourselves. We're naturals at it. We're really good. In 2018, the, the amount of household debt was $13.21 trillion. The amount of household debt was $13.21 trillion. I'm not good at math. But that feels bad. <laughs> uh, of course, these are car loans, house loans, student loans. Uh, but a big part of this is uh, credit cards. Credit cards are magic. Uh, it's like free money. I can get uh, what I want when I want it, and I can get it instantly. And future Adam can pay for it. I don't have to think about it now. Uh, I don't have to wait. Uh, I, I, whenever I want it, I can get it. We want to treat ourselves. One of the most famous scriptures about money uh, comes in 1 Timothy. And it's actually often misquoted. It says this, For the love of money is a, is a root of all kinds of evil. Often it's misquoted, For money is the root of all. It's not money itself. It's the love of money. Interesting. And I love this part. It is through uh, this craving I'm going to stay on that word. It's through this craving that some have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with pangs. This word craving, the Greek word is orego. It means a powerful desire for something. Powerful desire for something. Just curious, just yell it out. What do you think of when you think of the word craving? Chocolate. Chocolate, yes. Food. I know one of you guys want to say it. Just say it. Coffee. Okay, yeah. Coffee. I was thinking sex, but okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, chocolate, sex. Hey, we're all adults. Um, when we think of craving, we think of those kind of things. My wife, when she's pregnant, you know, you think of pregnancy and craving. Uh, you think of like pickles or weird things like that. She craved crushed ice, crushed ice, like desperately, powerfully craved crushed ice. So I uh, knew every restaurant close by that had crushed ice. There was a boba tea place close to me, and they did crushed ice. So I would go, and I'd just get this huge cup of crushed ice, and I'd be, bring it home to my wife and be like, treat yourself. <laughs> See, when we, have, when we have a craving, it's powerful, right? It's all I can think about. I need that chocolate right now. And when do I want it? I don't want it in the future. I want it right now. Thank you. Come on. That's a craving. We want to treat ourselves instantly. Many of us crave money, or more correctly, what money can bring us. The toys, latest and greatest gadgets, clothes, sense of security. And for many of us, this is the greatest barrier to financial health. Instead of thinking of our values and who we want to be, what God has created us to be in the long term or what would honor God, we want to fulfill our cravings. We want instant gratification. 
So think about it. What do you crave? What do you have a powerful desire for? Because money is not bad, but to be financially healthy, we have to learn to use it. Not for what we crave in the moment, uh, but for what we actually value. So here's the good news. Here's the good news. Money is not bad. We just need to change our perspective on it. It's not something to accumulate or bring contentment. Money is a tool. Money is a tool. So uh, what's the purpose of a tool? It's to help us accomplish something, to accomplish a goal or a mission. I want to show you a picture of something I built with some tools, okay? This is a couple years ago for Christmas. You can see some tools I have there, and then the final product. Uh, this is a playhouse I built for our kids. Second picture. Yeah, that's the final product. Oh, you don't have to clap. I'm, I, I wasn't looking for any kind of validation or anything. <laughs> treat yourself. Okay, I'll treat myself that validation. Thank you. Uh, so I spent uh, a long time. We were hiding it in the garage. Uh, so on Christmas morning, the kids could run out there. And so I used these different tools to accomplish this uh, goal. What was the mission? It was to build uh, a great surprise for the kids, to build a place where we dreamed that they could play together and have fun in the middle of the beautiful California sun. Uh, but what was the underlying value? What was the underlying value of accomplishing building this? It was love, right? My love for my kids compelled me to build them this, to honor them, to uh, bless them, to give them joy. The tool, the tools, the drills, the nail gun, they just simply helped me accomplish my mission and my value, right? So what do you value? What do you treasure? What are your priorities? The good news, money can be a tool to help you with these. Do you value family? Money can help you save and provide for loved ones. Do you value other cultures and traveling? Money can help with that. It can be a tool. Uh, do you value freedom from debt or poverty? Money can help you achieve this. Do you value being able to retire one day? Money can help you with that. It's a tool to help with what you care about. Years ago, there's this group of people uh, that had their values turned upside down. Uh, they were blown away by this person, Jesus. He talked about a kingdom of God that provided fullness, justice, hope, grace, peace, love. He, he traveled around on foot, and he was literally homeless. No possessions. And he taught about a revolutionary way of living that would last for eternity. And these people were so enthralled, uh, they devoted their entire lives to following this Jesus way. So they started gathering a community of followers. And uh, in this next group of verses, we see how this community uh, treated money, how they used it. So this is in Acts 4. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They're unified. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Love that. But they had everything in common. 
With great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was upon them all. And I love this line. There is no needy person among them. For as many who were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. These followers were so content with God alone. They realized that money was not something to accumulate or satisfy cravings. They understood that money was a tool to be used to accomplish their values. What did they value? The kingdom of God. There's no needy among them. They used the money to spread justice, feed the poor, provide for the needy, spread the news of hope and peace. So when we stop trying to find contentment and happiness and security through money, we can start to learn to use it for something greater than ourselves. So how can you use money as a tool to provide for others? Are there needy people in your community, in your neighborhood? Are there causes that you care about deeply, uh, that you believe in? When we find our commitment or our contentment through God, Money can help us accomplish these goals and missions, bring the kingdom of Jesus down to earth. One way that we do this here is we tithe. We don't talk about it here because we don't want to be weird or pushy, but this is a way to give back to God as an act of worship. Uh, And you can do this online. You can do it easily. Uh, And oftentimes the tithe that you've probably heard in church in the past is a 10% tithe. And I just want to say, if that's too much for you right now, Start at 1%. Start at 5%. And this isn't about Menlo Church or Sank. You don't have to give to us. I'm not trying to get money from you. Uh, This is a practice that teaches us to use our money for what we believe in. So this could be to a mission organization. Uh, If you go to another church, uh, it's teaching us that our money is not our own. It's for a greater purpose. Now, I want to end by showing you guys some pictures that I saw years ago that uh, just really haunted me. Um, these are uh, what some people call ghost malls. They're abandoned malls. Uh, you know, malls were once staples of the 80s. Uh, you can imagine buzzing with consumerism, excitement, the latest fashions. If you guys have seen Stranger Things, the third season, uh, the mall plays an important role. And what I love about looking at these is I can imagine people buying and thinking, uh, man, this purchase is going to make me content. It's going to satisfy a craving that I have. And now if you can imagine just walking in this abandoned ghost town, empty, echoing, all these things that people thought would give them contentment, satisfy their cravings, have rotted away. They become graveyards. So I want you to continue to look at these pictures, and as a way to end, I want to read something that Jesus said as we look at these pictures together. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Neither moth or rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here it goes. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. What do you value? What do you treasure? That's where your heart is. Money can't buy things that last. They're temporary. What is eternal? Same verse that we started this talk out with, with Jesus summed up his entire message, the entire law, love. Love the Lord God with all your heart. Love others as yourself. This is the eternal value, the kingdom of Jesus. Financial health comes when we realize money does not equal contentment. Money is a tool to help spread the love of Christ every part of our life for eternity. Let's pray again. Jesus, I'm so grateful for tonight. Just looking around the room and I just realize so many of us are in different circumstances, different boats, different groups. And I laughed about it earlier, but I just know a lot of people in this room are feeling the pain and the fear and the worry that comes with uh, finances and need. Many of us, uh, for years now, we've just wrestled with uh, this desire for more. And we want to confess that it's not working. It's not making us more satisfied. It's not making us more content or full. And so tonight, would you deeply remind us in our souls, on a soul level, would you uh, give us the clarity to understand uh, that Contentment can only come through you. Father, would you uh, give us the burden, the hope that we can be flourishing people, that we can come to know you and know you to the full and help us to be the kind of community that does that. So the rest of this time we give to you. Continue to speak and move. In Jesus' name we pray.